Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State Athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. I think I now know how the English felt. When Queen Elizabeth II passed away just recently, because it feels like we have lost our king. K-State Athletics announcing earlier today, Ernie Barrett, Mr. K-State, passed away at the age of 93 right here in Manhattan, Kansas. Welcome to the game, Mitch Fortner and Troy Coverdale. We will, of course, take our time today to pay tribute to Ernie Barrett coming up at 510 We're going to speak to somebody that was very close to Ernie over the last 30-plus years and former K-State baseball coach Mike Clark. Uh, I I think Coach Clark, you know, just from what I heard uh, from a few stories from a few folks and from Mike himself, he was probably closer to Mr. K-State than anybody was in the last couple of years. I think Ward maybe started to get around a little bit. You know, his health was starting to decline recently, wasn't driving anymore. And he was known, of course, for having his car in the license plate, Mr. KST. And, of course, we knew about the legend of the handshake. The handshake that was stiff. And if you're so lucky, you got the neck Hug in there as well. Now, Troy and I were talking about Ernie just a little bit ago in the office, and I told him that even though I've been involved with KSA Athletics as like a PA announcer, gosh, it's been now eight or nine years, I actually never formally met Ernie. I never got the handshake, never got the neck hug or anything like that. You did, though, right? You know, on occasion, uh, in that I had been to a few Catbacker events that I that he was there and was able to shake his hand. Absolutely. What was your thought when you sh- when you shook hands? Dear God, I've not got to get stronger. Got to get back in the gym. Yeah, something along those lines. Step up the game a little bit in the handshaking department. My goodness, that man could shake a hand. This is. In my opinion, the most impressive stat when it comes to Ernie Barrett. He and his wife, Bonnie, married for 70 
two years. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of a marriage longer than that. Mm-hmm. That that's that's phenomenal. That's love. That's 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 so that's so cool. It really is. But the the Ernie Barrett story, of course, it goes back to 1929 when he's born. He's a Leo, a Leo just like this guy right here, Wellington, Kansas. He's originally from uh, Pratt, then you know from Wellington. And then in high school was recruited to a number of places like KU, Oklahoma State. He could have uh, played for Fog Allen. He could have played for Henry Iba, but instead decided to play for Jack Gardner. Played three seasons with the Wildcats and then was drafted. Well, before Let's slow down a little bit. Let me take my time here. Because I'm not the most qualified person maybe to speak about Ernie Barrett. But he's got a story, and I think K-State Athletics did a great job of documenting that story earlier today with their announcement of his passing, and I, I mean, there's some details in here I didn't know, um, but I, you know, for those that don't, didn't know as well, this is our opportunity to learn about this legend, legend that passed away earlier today after, gosh, 75 years of either playing, coaching, administration, commitment and love for the Wildcats. And reading the, the, the statements earlier today by those in K-State Athletics about Ernie Barrett, a lot of them said that, and I, I'll read some of those off a little bit later, that nobody probably loved K-State more than Ernie Barrett. And that was a big part of why he earned the nickname Mr. K-State, but as a player at K-State, he is the one that got K-State to a national championship or got him close to a national championship more than anybody else. 1951 national championship game against Kentucky, but before that, that was back when the tournament started in basically the Sweet 16. You get three wins, national championship game, which still is the only in K-State history. And Ernie Barrett was a part of that team as a senior where he averaged over 10 points a game and was named an All-American. Now, this is like the small details about that that I didn't know about. I knew he was injured, and I I think John Kurtz and I were talking about it one time, and I always thought he didn't play in the game. But he did play in the game, but he was limited because of a shoulder injury. So he scored four points, and that was the game case they led at the half, but they ended up losing by 10 to the Kentucky Wildcats, which I since think then that they've had to vacate the title, which is still, I think, still claim it, can't we? But anyway, after the playing career and three years with Jack Gardner as his head coach, was drafted by the Boston Celtics. Before he became a Celtic, though, two years in the Air Force, and then goes and plays some professional basketball for a couple of years. Now, this is also stuff I didn't know about Ernie, and that was about his professional career, playing two seasons with the Celtics. I was like, I was just kind of, you know, two years, and, and then you're done. Like, I guess that's a career that can go in any direction, but does it seem like the most bright career, I guess? But he played in 131 games as a Boston Celtic. And he averaged five points, two and a half rebounds, 1.7 assists, and shot 37% from the field, 75% from the free throw line. You also have to remember that this was at a time that the NBA was still a predominant drive yourself to the game or bus league, and that it was just a part time job. There were things that I think called him to do better or felt that he could do better. Yeah. 
at rather than be in the NBA. His best game was in his second year against the Fort Wayne Pistons, which would, of course, later become the, the, the Detroit Pistons. And he scored 19 points. In his first year, he only had one double-digit game, 11 points against the Fort Wayne Pistons. Something about the Fort Wayne Pistons who he always had good games against. Bernie Barrett's NBA career, you know, rather short. Ends up coming back to K-State, and he goes from student-athlete and then becomes an assistant basketball coach in 1958 through 1964 with none other than Tex Winter. And if you didn't know this, Ernie Barrett was either a player or an assistant coach for three of K-State's four Final Fours. Then became an assistant athletics director. Was an AD for six years. University consultant. Director of development. And then there's so many accolades and so many achievements earned in his time And then after his administration role came to an end, he was still involved with K-State as an ambassador or a fundraiser, wore many different hats. The only time, though, I got to see Ernie Baird, of course, was when I was a PA announcer and I learned who Ernie was and got to see him around. The vibe I got from Ernie Baird was when he walks in the door, everybody knows who he is, and there's no doubt about it, he's the life of the party. He, he will steal your attention, and I bet he, he was one of the best storytellers. Inducted in the K-State Athletics Hall of Fame in 1990. First team All-American, and by the way, of course, his, uh, his jersey and his name are in the rafters of Bramlage Coliseum. The, the, the reason I make the King comparison is because there's so many stories out there in history of Kings ruling for so long. And maybe the term ruling can use, be used in different ways, and then sometimes they're ruling more than, than some other times. Ernie obviously kept up appearances, but he was such a huge part of K-State through so many decades. And to have that love, have that compassion, have that commitment to a town to a community, to a school, to an athletics department is really, truly special. And I, I would imagine there aren't too many programs out there and schools out there that had somebody so involved in many different ways through athletics and throughout the school, raising money, coach, player, so many hats And for so long, over 70 years like Ernie Barrett. I think it should become a tradition from now on, if you haven't been doing it already, is before you enter Bramlage Coliseum for a basketball game or for whatever, and if you're entering on the west side, shake Ernie's hand before you walk in. Because a lot of what you're experiencing, the banners that are hung, what has been built Going back a long time, a big part of that was Ernie Barrett. Contrita is like slapping the sign before the you know the Fighting Irish walk into the stadium or whatever. Get some good luck from Ernie before you head back into Bramlage and and watch the Cats compete inside of the Octagon of Doom. 
I'm with you. It's 100% the, the way to go. Because would we have it any other way? Ernie Barrett greeting us as we get to Bramlage? I wish I would, I wish I would have formally met him. I wasn't very outgoing when I would see him around. And I think, I mean, he was, I, I still I think I remember him coming to games last year maybe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't know exactly when his health started to decline. Um, but I mean, like, as a player, as a coach, he was involved in seven conference championships, scored over 670, I think he had 675 points, 77 career games with the Wildcats. I mean, a winning percentage of 71% in his playing career. And man, was he involved with some very pretty big-time coaches when it comes to the history of K-State. Jack Gardner, who's a Hall of Famer, and of course Tex Winter, who's not only a big deal in the college ranks, I mean, good Lord, how many NBA championships was Tex Winter involved in with the NBA, of course, with the Bulls and Lakers? Then you also have to factor in that he was the man who hired Jack Hartman as head coach, as that was during his athletic director stint. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, sometimes it's hard to put into true words like what a person meant. I hope I did it justice. And again, I, I, I'll say it again. Like I'm not the most qualified person to speak about the legacy and the career of Ernie Barrett. Mike Clark, hopefully at, at 510, will fill us in on a little bit more. And I've always heard the stories of him telling stories and how good of a storyteller he was. I'd love to hear stories of Ernie Barrett. Anybody listening, have you met Ernie? What was your reaction? If, if you were around here back in the day, decades ago, and you saw the development of K-State Athletics, the university, thanks to the contribution and the hard work of Ernie Barrett, if, he, if you have any stories, feel free. Call in 537-1350 is the phone number. Uh, and again, at 510, Mike Clark, former K-State baseball coach who, of course, was the baseball coach for, gosh, 14 years before Brad Hill. I mean, that's somebody that's been around here for a while as well and really got to know Ernie Barrett, great friends. We're going to hear from Mike Clark coming up at 510. We're going to hear his stories and his thoughts on the legend that is Ernie Barrett. we got a lot of K-State football to get to as well. Chris Kleiman, spring press conference. Earlier today, we'll get some highlights at 525. Coming up next, linebacker position for K-State. Very interesting. Heading into the 2023 season with a couple of starters back and what I feel is maybe the most comfortable depth that is being developed. So we're going to hear from a starter, and we're going to hear some depth when we hear from Daniel Green, who's actually going to speak about his decision to come back and the up-and-comer and Jake Clifton coming up next. Something I didn't mention earlier about Ernie, it, and it's got to be. If you remember the Sweet 16 win over Kentucky in the 18 NCAA tournament, we remember Barry Brown and his layup to put K-State up a bucket. It's one of the most legendary buckets made in K-State basketball history, but I think we all remember the postgame celebration. And it might be the most legendary postgame celebration in K-State history. Cats in the purple jersey celebrating in the locker and who walks in? Locker room and who walks in? Ernie Barrett. In attendance, in Atlanta, 
walks into the locker room. First person he meets, Barry Brown. We're not shaking hands at this point. We're hugging. And I think that's where, if you hadn't learned about it yet, you learned about the handshake and the hug. And the, and the locker room went nuts when Barry Brown and Ernie Bear, two legends, hug it out after a crazy, dramatic, and such a satisfying win over the Kentucky Wildcats, an upset win in the NCAA tournament. And it wasn't just Barry. Ernie Barrett wasn't getting out of that locker room until he gave everybody a hug. Pearson McAtee got a hug. McCall Maywean got a hug. Everybody got a hug. Rest in peace, Mr. Wildcat. And coming up at 5.10, Mr. K-State, excuse me. And coming up at 5.10, we're going to hear from Mike Clark, uh, former K-State baseball coach, about his friendship with Mr. K-State. Getting to uh, some K-State football here. Earlier today, the final press conference of the spring. Spring ball is now officially done. Last press conference is done. That was earlier today with Chris Kleiman, head football coach. He had one at the beginning of the spring and at the end of the spring. And uh, just kind of putting a bow on this on this spring football season. Linebacker situation is one that I'm feeling better about every day. From what it sounds like, it's been a very productive and solid spring for the linebackers. Let's start with Daniel Green. I've been saying this since, really since the Sugar Bowl wrapped up. And as a matter of fact, I know this was a big talking point after the Sugar Bowl. And that was Daniel Green not coming back for his last year of eligibility. He's already 24 years old. He actually turned 24 like a week after the the Sugar Bowl. So... Now with him coming back, I mean, if, if he plays professional football, he'll be 25 years old. He's an old man. But he's using his last year of eligibility. We're going to hear from him in just a second. But was not expecting him to come back. He had told I was standing right there when he said that he was not coming back for another year of eligibility. And we heard it from, we heard it from Joe Klanderman. We heard from Steve Standard, linebacker's coach. They were completely caught by surprise. That about a month later, Daniel Green decided to come back for his last year of eligibility and once again be the quarterback of the K-State defense. This was earlier today, Daniel Green, K-State Mike linebacker with the K-State media from the Veneer Football Complex. We were sitting in pads at the post-Sugar Bowl and probably thinking it might have been your last game. What kind of transpired through your mind since then? Um... <clears throat> well, after the game, I obviously thought like that was my last game, and then uh, a lot of thought, prayer, and uh, just talking to close ones around me and uh, a couple people that like uh, I hold their um, their opinions uh, highly, and uh, just just thought it was uh, probably best for me to come back so I can showcase my best football uh, this year and uh, just stay healthy. Were the injury limitations part of what uh, spurred you to come back? Yeah, yeah. I just felt like uh, majority of the season not even practice. So like just not even able to practice and uh, be my like a hundred percent on most of those Saturdays. Kind of, uh, I just didn't want to like go out that way. Just I just wanted to be healthy and uh, put my best football out before I go declare for the next level. Did you talk to any of the NFL type people too to to find out if that? If, um, if it might help you to come back for another year? Um, I talk to people like that uh, I'm close to. 
that gave me a good reference about like uh, where I stand and what I should do probably. And uh, yeah, that's kind of went into my decision. I had a lot of great people around me, a lot of great uh, people who's done been in my shoes. And uh, yeah, I just had a lot of, I was blessed to have a lot of different people away in, uh, on my decision. Stay healthy this season. What does a fully healthy Daniel Green look like in 2023? Man, that's something that uh, you guys has got to come out and see. I'm just really excited about uh, just going back out there with the guys and uh, trying to accomplish something even bigger than we did last year. What does the mic spot look like behind you? What does the mic position look like? Real promising. I think uh, the whole linebacker room right now is just really, really promising. We got a lot of young guys with a lot of length, a lot of athleticism, and they're really smart too at our position. That is probably the biggest component that we have to have is our uh, IQ and uh, understanding the defense and understanding how to line guys up. And those guys have been doing a good job with that. Is there anything you're doing to you know, keep injuries away right now? Um, I would just say uh, a, lot, a lot of recovery. I've always been a big recovery guy, uh, taking care of my body. Um, more is just like um, just getting healthier in uh, some of the areas that I ended the season with nicks and bruises, just uh, getting fully uh, healed up from those things. All right, so a couple of things just to respond of what Daniel Green had just talked about, and that is, I mean, if you were, I, I hope you were impressed by the play of Daniel Green last year. He was one of my favorite players. He did what a linebacker was, a uh, Mike linebacker was supposed to do, be the captain, be the leader, and he had. I mean, he started every game. He was fifth on the team in tackles. He had three and a half TFLs, a couple of sacks, a couple of interceptions. He was defending passes. And, you know, I thought he was a little bit, you know, underappreciated for being an all Big 12 honorable mention. He's been now that the last couple of years. He's one of my favorite tacklers on the team. I know he's ran into some really bad luck with some of his tackling in his career, but I think that's also something he improved on much. A lot, and that is just his form tackling and doing it right way. That way, he doesn't get kicked out of games. This is, I think, K State should feel very lucky to have him back. And I know they welcomed him back with open arms, but behind him as well. I just want to say, and this is a part of the reason why I feel like I'm much more comfortable with the depth of the linebacker position than I am at really anywhere else, maybe on the field. And that is because behind him, you have up and comers and like Terry Kirksey, I'm a big fan of, who's going to, I think, will back him up. And then Toby Austin Sanmi is going to be a beast. Saw him just a little bit last year, mostly on special teams. He has so much upside to me. I mean, this is my only opinion. I think a lot of people would agree with me as well that cover the team. You know what he's all about. Like, he's going to get himself on the field, and he is going to be a heck of a player. Now, on the other side, you have a fight right now for Sam Linebacker. Desmond Purnell, Jake Clifton, maybe uh, maybe Rex Van Wy, um, but it feels like it's mostly Jake Clifton and Desmond Purnell right now fighting for that Sam linebacker spot. We heard uh, from Jake Clifton, who's a redshirt freshman earlier today. Jake, you got that experience last year. Now that you have some of that game experience under your belt, how did that help you this spring and moving into the fall as well? Yeah, so I was telling him like last year, I was really focused on myself and defensive uh, side of the ball, like getting myself right and making sure I know my responsibilities. But this year, having a few experiences and knowing you know down and distance or play types or offensive coordinators, their consistency, you know what I mean, um, and just learning the offensive side of the ball to help myself out more. Um, that's what's helped me out more. The most. One of those guys that played a lot last year was VJ Payne, and 
you guys obviously came in together, but how nice was it last year knowing that for the most part, whenever you were out there, you had a guy out there in VJ who was going through the same thing that you were? Yeah, so last year it was West Virginia game. Me, Jacob Parrish, and VJ Payne were all on the same side of the ball for like a whole series, and it just, that was kind of my waking point. I was like, we got some dudes in our, our grade, you know what I mean? So it was cool to have them out there and gonna be happy for them. Uh, a lot of more young guys came in during the spring, some early enrollees. Um, what do you think a positive for them can be being able to early enroll and maybe go through some of those growing pains that maybe you went through in the beginning part in the spring? Yeah, so getting the yelling out the way, you know what I mean? <laughs> you're going to get the you're gonna get the brute honesty. I mean, I can imagine being a senior in high school and coming here and doing what we're doing, um, but these guys did it, and they are obviously excelling in what they're doing and getting the scheme going, and it's going to help them out more in the summer and as we go into the season. One of the guys we've heard a lot about is, is Austin Romaine from one of those young guys. What have you kind of seen from him and, and really just that, that freshman group as a whole? Yeah, so he's probably one of the closer guys or younger guys I'm closer to. Um, he's definitely, I mean, I'm not a coach, but he brought attention to my eyes and uh, got, got after some dudes in the spring ball and been like super positive dude, you know what I mean? Really he's like wants to learn and stuff. I mean, he's always up there. If I'm meeting, he's like, hey, got a question on this? Or like, hey, you want to stick around and watch 10 more minutes? Definitely uh, trying to get it all in. What's it like having Deuce back? Deuce Green? I couldn't be more blessed, you know what I mean? to have another leader like that and ask him questions. I mean, out on the field, he knows every position, um, safety, corner, you know what I mean, D-line, everywhere, with everything that's going on. So um, it's been a blessing to have him. Well, see, that was Jay Clifton earlier today, retro freshman linebacker for K-State, who, I mean, of course, still super young from the state of Oklahoma, 6'2", 219. And we saw just, you know, brief moments last year of him playing some really good football I was thinking about this earlier today. I think Jake Clifton, if you were to ask me right now who would be my breakout player for 2023 on the defensive side of the football, I'm going to go with Jake Clifton. I really am. There were two plays, back-to-back plays in the Big 12 championship where he was very impressive. And that was really all I needed to see. I mean, it was back-to-back plays. He made the tackles. TCU ends up punting. I was like, okay. He, he's starting to show off a little bit. We're seeing the athletic, hard-hitting Jake Clifton. In a, in a true freshman, I think he's actually going to be a sophomore this year. I don't know. He may have played too many games. Let me double-check. Okay, he did play five games. I thought he had played four. Never mind, he's played five. He's going to be a sophomore anyway. But you know what I'm saying here. Um, I think he's going to be awesome this upcoming season. We're going to see him play at Sam Linebacker. I think he's going to steal the show a little bit. Those two tackles at TCU, if I could go back and find them, I'm going to go back and watch them. They were impressive. I remember watching them live. I was like, that kid is a freaking stud. And he's going to be awesome this upcoming season. So, awesome to see how this uh, – and oh, another thing I wanted to bring up about Jake Clifton. Talk about a sponge for the game. Talk about a guy that is smart, athletic. Maybe can he play more than one position? Coach Kleiman said earlier today that this spring they've actually been they, – they actually introduced him to safety a little bit. Play a little bit of safety. Now, they said that it's not like they're moving him safety or anything, but it's like, you know, if you remember what happened last year with Kobe Savage going down, 
uh, Sincere Mason. They lost him towards the end of the year, so they were a little bit light at safety, and they kind of ran into some issues with some personnel. They were stretched thin, and they don't want to run into that situation once again. What if you need somebody to step up from another position like Keenan Garber did last year in the Big 12 championship game and play some corner? Maybe Jay Clifton can be that guy that can bounce around the field for you if you need him to because he's such an athlete and play safety for you. There's some evidence right there that this kid is a hell of a player. Let's take a break. When we come back, let's stick with college football. And when we come back, there has been a rule change to how the clock is going to run. I don't think it's that big of a deal. But we'll bring it up next. This statement uh, on the late Ernie Barrett coming from president and CEO of the Casey Alumni Association, Amy Button-Renz, I think she'd be the perfect one to start with. I will always be grateful to Ernie for his support and friendship. When I became president and CEO of the Alumni Association, Ernie provided valuable insight into the world of athletics and helped the association establish a new elevated partnership with the athletics department. When we started the campaign to build the K-State Alumni Center, he helped us raise funds, and then Ernie and his family personally donated. The Barrett Wildcat Den is named in his honor. I have so many wonderful memories of him and his love for K-State. I was so excited when he received the association's Wildcat Pride Award, but my favorite memory is sitting next to him, when the 2018 men's basketball team defeated Kentucky to advance to the Elite Eight. Ernie was so excited. There will never be another Mr. Wildcat. My thoughts and prayers to Bonnie, Brad, and all of Ernie's loved ones. Absolutely well said. We talk about the impact that Bill Snyder has had on this community and has had on the university, along with what he had on the football program and athletics at K-State. He was led in that way by Ernie Barrett. Let's be perfectly honest. Mr. K-State set the path in many ways, save for the fact that someone did need to overhaul where football was. Ernie tried during his time as athletic director, but in the grand scheme of things, so many things that Bill Snyder went on to do in terms of our community, Ernie Barrett was already doing those. Let's get another one in here. Uh, statement from Jim Colbert. Mm-hmm. Of course, a professional golfer. Longtime donor to uh, K-State Athletics and, of course, the owner of Colbert Hills. Ernie was Mr. K-State. He devoted all of his adult life to the betterment and development of the university. There would be no Colbert Hills without Ernie. There would be no Bramwich Coliseum, Bill Snyder Family Stadium, and many other facilities on campus. There will never be another Ernie. The relationships he developed and many friendships he made stretch all across the country. Yeah, these are mm-hmm. these are awesome. Yeah, exceptionally and, telling. And as you can imagine, there are a lot of them. So I'm going to try to get to more as we uh, as we do continue on with the show. Mike Clark, former K State baseball coach and a close friend to Ernie Barrett, uh, is coming uh, to the show to join us at five ten. He'll be joining us on the phone. There's been a change of a rule for college football, with the exception of Division Three. They're like, nah, dog, we're not in on this. So the NCAA Playing Rules Oversight Panel today has approved a rule change for 2023. What the change is, is that they will allow the clock to continue to run. And this, again, college football, 
on first downs in all divisions except Division Three. So, you know, handoff to DJ Giddens. He picks up 12 yards, 12 yards on the play, good for a Wildcat. Move the chains. Instead of the clock stopping for a moment till the chains get set, the clock is going to continue to roll. Unless it's the final two minutes of a half, if you're in the final two minutes of a half and a first down is picked up, then the clock's going to stop momentarily. So it mirrors the NFL rules. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. For the most. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the difference. College football, I mean, the NCAA said to still differentiate from the NFL yes. when it comes to that clock rule and no, like, the NFL does not stop the clock on first downs. Period. Yes. And so that's the difference is still in the last couple of minutes of the first and second half, they're going to still continue to stop the clock on first down. My only reaction is I saw some people upset about it. And like what the NCAA is trying to do here is just kind of speed up the game just a little bit. The thing is, if you've noticed, and I've noticed this, that the the clock is barely stopped anymore for first downs. True. It's, It's not stopped for very long. True. And if you're still stopping it for first downs for a little bit in the final two minutes of a game, like so that, that that doesn't change. Like maybe strategy changes a little bit during a game, but if you're trying to fire off timeouts to stop the clock, to me that doesn't change a lot. Which, by the way, also the NCAA is also passing a rule that teams can no longer take back to back timeouts. Good. So like icing the kicker type of thing. You can right. take one, but you're not going to be able to do two anymore, at least from what it sounds like. But with you know the era of the hurry up offense, no huddles, speeding things up. I mean, it used to be like the chains had to be set before the clock rolls again on a first down. The chains are never set anymore, and they're already running the clock again. There's a joke in there about Iowa's offense being the most hurt because they can't drag out the <laughs> drag it out anymore and and try and uh, you know catch their breaths because well you know three yards in a cloud of dust. No, th- this essentially means that. You've got to be ready to go no matter what, but most defenses were already in that position because, as you said, hurry-up offenses have changed that. Yeah. To me, this is not really a big deal whatsoever. I don't know about you if this is – I know there's traditionalists out there, and this is a you know a pretty decent change when it comes to college football and just the way things are ran. Will it speed up the game a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's going to eliminate, you know, 10 plays from every game or something that we're, we're, we're you know, you're going to still see probably the same amount of plays. That's probably not going to change a whole lot. Except, you know, instead of the clock running, you know, five seconds after a play is did while the chains move, now they're just not going to stop. You know, I think it's, it's not going to be the biggest difference in the world. At the end of the day, I don't think anybody's going to really notice it anyway. It's just going to be a slight change. I think that folks have just gotten so used to it in the college game being different than the NFL that it colors how they view it. It's just, hey, it's different than what the NFL is. We like that. But the thing is, like, this would be a big deal if – it would be a bigger deal, let me put it that way – if they made the rule for the entire game. Mm Mm-hmm. But instead, it is the entire game except for the last two minutes of the first and second half. So you're still going to have the dramatics that you can potentially have at the end of halves will not be altered by this rule change. If it could. It's not going to be. Right. So that's all still the same. Just during the 
during the first 28 minutes of the first half, first 28 minutes of the second half. Yeah, it's going to go a little bit quicker because of that because of that change. Um, okay, I guess what that also means now is uh, when fans come back in for the second half at the Bill, instead of missing the first <laughs> seven and a half minutes of the uh, of the second half, they're going to miss now maybe nine minutes <laughs> of the second half. All right, when we come back, let's finish up the hour uh, by me apologizing to Dean Wade. That's next. All right, we finish up hour one of the game coming up. Uh, 5'10", we're going to be joined by K-State former baseball coach Mike Clark, who was very close to Ernie Barrett really over the last 30-plus years and especially the last couple of years uh, with Mike Clark, who is you can also hear once in a while with me on K-State baseball radio broadcast and also does the uh, ESPN Plus broadcast for the Backcats who are at home uh, when they're at home. Meanwhile, at UC Irvine tonight, opening up a three-game series with 8 o'clock, first pitch, pregame starts at 7.30 here on K-Man. So sorry to Dean Wade, and the reason is because he's a Cleveland Cavalier, and they're right now, uh, actually later tonight, going to be playing game three of the Eastern first round, uh, the Eastern Conference first round against the New York Knicks. The reason I'm saying sorry, Dean Wade, is you know since he's a Wildcat, and he's the only Wildcat in this series. I should probably be rooting for the Cavs. The thing is, New York Knicks fans are absolute animals. And I learned this, uh, really just New York fans in general. They're animals. Whenever they're close to winning something, they're going bonkers. And if you saw after they beat the Cavs in, in, the, in Game 1, Knicks fans went nuts. After one win in the first round... The thing is, they're now back at the Garden. And I think tonight the Garden between the Knicks and Cavs might be one of the wildest environments that the Garden has seen in quite some time. Heck, I would imagine, I would bet that the K-State, Florida Atlantic environment was better than a lot of environments the Knicks have seen in in decades. I just kind of want to see the reaction of Knicks fans if they win a second game in the playoffs. Because other than the Yankees, there's not a whole lot of winning for New York fans anymore. Other than maybe the Rangers this last year for like the first time in 20 years, they were good. And then the Giants also making the playoffs. First time in a decade, they had been good. So maybe New York fans needs this, need this one more than anything. All right, hour to the game. Like I said, Mike Clark going to be joining us in a few moments. Chris Kleiman, final press conference of the spring. Number one song of the day and Ask Us Anything All. Coming up, your local news is next.